Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. Joining me today on location at the NAM Show in Anaheim, California, my guest is an award-winning singer, songwriter, and ukulele player who has graced the cover of Ukulele Magazine twice. Her songs have seen both television and movie placements. She has performed internationally and has even opened for Jackson Brown, plus she teaches workshops for ukulele festivals and songwriting festivals. She appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, has 10 albums under her belt, and her YouTube videos have a combined total of over 600,000 views. You've been hearing a song of hers called Color of Lying. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Victoria Vox. Hello. Hi, Bruce. I like that your last name is like nowhere near mine, and I don't even have to ask you. Am I pronouncing it right? Is it Vox? Like, what else? What, what other way would there be? <laughs> Thank you for making time to do this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. You bet. This is exciting to be back at NAM no 2022. Doubt. No doubt. Before we dive into all that you're doing and have done, share with the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called Color of Lying. So Color of Lying is a song inspired by an art by Fred Stonehouse, which is of a devil creature, uh, tears coming out of its eyes, horns, and uh, it's painted on an antique book cover, a red leather antique book. Wow. And in Fred had come up with the title, or he wrote, painted on the book, The Color of Lying. And one, this was an artwork that... Uh, I felt inspired by to write a song for and thinking of the colors of lying and red lies and black lies, white mm. lies. Instead of going to the obvious, I also read a little bit of uh, the book called Lying by Cicela Bach. Wow. And it was kind of a fascinating read in that it talked, she wrote a lot about the kind of the positive side of lying and Basically, we lie every day and we lie to protect those we love. Mm. And so I kind of came in the song from the perspective that lying is a good thing. And basically, we're in a relationship. I know that you're lying and you know that I'm lying and there's things that we don't tell each other, but it's because we love each other. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. wow. So one of the lines is says, I'm an honest liar and so are you. <laughs> This is such a great start. My gosh, I, you know, I liked when you all of a sudden got to white lies. I thought, oh, yeah, we all say, you know, oh, it's just a little white lie. But you talked about other colors. And so this is fascinating how, <laughs> how deep you went with it all. I mean, to the point where you said you even read another book about it. And for the audience, you know, this is what I want you to get from this show week in and week out is these guests and the depths that they go to 
to write a song and then times that by however many songs. In this case, that song, Color of Lying, along with the one that we're going to talk about and play at the end of the interview, are from an album that Victoria just released a couple of months ago, which is called Nirvana and R.E.M. That album is an audiovisual experience of 10 original songs inspired by 20 works of art by, you just mentioned him, Fred Stonehouse. Talk to the audience about that album and this very special story behind it. So I was at, it was the last festival that I attended, I was part of, before the pandemic, February 2020. Uh, it's at the Holiday Music Motel in Sturgeon Bay, and they have three songwriting events throughout the year. There's the Steelbridge Song Fest, Dark Songs in October, around Halloween, and Love on Holiday, which is around Valentine's Day in February. And the February Love on Holiday songwriting event has an art component. Uh, so they, so okay. uh, that year they brought in 20 Wisconsin-based visual artists, and they kind of uh, donate a piece for the week, and we are able to see the art, and we spin the bottle for songwriting partners. So everything's random. Uh. So there were 34 songwriters that year. We all showed up. We spin the bottle the first night, so I'm randomly paired with two other people, mm -hmm. and then we spin the bottle for a letter that corresponds to an artwork. Okay. And so um, it was started, we spun an untitled piece by Fred Stonehouse, and he came to the show on Saturday. So we do a show on Friday and Saturday at the festival, and basically we know that there's a show on Friday and Saturday, but none of the music has been written yet. <laughs> Oh my gosh. No pressure <laughs> it's, though. It's really kind of crazy. So, but then we have more than enough songs at the end and we're all, you know, trying to, I want to play my song. Um, so that was kind of the, the song that kickstarted the project. And after the show, Fred came up and was like, oh my gosh, I love this song Quest for Love, you know, and then we thought, you know, I would maybe just include that song on an album. He would do the cover art. Uh. And then after the festival, we just kept the conversation going. And then it turned into him saying like, hey, why don't we just do a whole album? But and the first one that you had done, was that the first time that you had ever written a song based on a visual piece of art? No. Oh, okay. So okay. There's, a, there's a lot of, you know, these kinds of events. Um, I'm sure everywhere in the world I've done events where... Uh, I'll be performing on stage and a painter will create something live on wow. stage. Wow. And so maybe play three songs and there'll be, you know, a few different artists performing, but they kind of take the first song you play and that inspires the artist to paint something. And then they continue painting on stage throughout the whole event. Uh, and then with the love on holiday, I think my first love on holiday at this holiday music motel mm -hmm. that I attended was in 2015. Uh, okay. I think that was the first one. I did Dark Songs started in 2012, and then the Steelbird Song Fest I had been at since 2007. But in this case here, ending up doing an entire album based on works of Fred Stonehouse, that's the first time I'm guessing that you did an entire album inspired by one artist's works. Yes. Yeah. So wow. I had done, you know, songs by other, you know, photographers and we would usually at these festivals as we're co-writing, an artist will probably have three or four songs by the end of the week. Um, so that was just one of them. And I just really loved Fred's art. And so once we started talking, 
he kind of gave me f- free reign to curate the artworks that inspired me, mm. that I was drawn to. And I was just cruising his Instagram, you know, for a year and a half looking for, <laughs> you know, titles or just, you know, feelings and vibes from his art. And I they're see. really quite strange. They're, sometimes there's, they're biomorphic beings and anthropomorphic creatures. Wow. And so there's always this humanized... Uh, these animals that seem human and so you connect with them through their eyes and their expressions and then sometimes um, the fruit have faces or (laughs) you know mix creatures. But I kind of feel like you probably enjoyed the challenge because as I said in the intro you're someone that has 10 albums under your belt so it's kind of a whole new challenge to someone that's done that much original music to say, whoa, this is something I really got to spend a lot of time looking at to really get inspired to write as many songs as I'm going to need to fill up a whole album. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I, I do like working with projects because it kind of it gives me a, a springboard or because when you think of songwriting and what you could write a song about, you could write a song about anything yeah. and there are unlimited ideas yeah. and and this contextualizes it all for you so it gives it gave me a little direction as far as you know kind of like okay what am i writing about and then i would look at the visuals and i just kind of started these little folders of like i like this one or this is kind of cool or these words are kind of interesting yeah. and so when i started the project Obviously, from the Love on Holiday event, it was one artwork that inspired a song. Mm-hmm. So in the in the early songs writing for this album, it was one artwork. But towards the end of the uh, writing the album, songs like 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, I found like the last song has like four artworks oh, because I wow. found that there there were some similar qualities in some of in his artworks. Okay. So there's one song that's called Checkerboard Flooring that has five artworks attached mm. to it. And so Very all of cool. so whenever he had a checkerboard flooring in the art, it was a direct uh like his personal experience of family life. And so there were just there were things that yeah. kind of tied yeah. between them or uh so it was really fascinating to see his art sure. and write for about sure. it. And for the audience, on the show page for this episode at nhte.net, I'm going to put links to two past episodes. Muriel Anderson, who is a harp guitarist, she was on episode 211, which we recorded at a NAMM show, and then episode 319, she was back. She did music that had accompanied photography, but then she also did, and we talked about this on 319, music that had an accompanying cookbook to go with it. So kind of some unique projects, just like Victoria is talking about. So I'll put links on the show page for Victoria's episode at nhte.net so you can go back and listen to my conversations with Muriel Anderson. Victoria, you began writing songs at the age of just 10 years old and later went on to attend the Berklee College of Music. Tell the audience a little bit about your background. How did you get interested in music in the first place? And also, when did you start playing the ukulele? But what led you to choose that instrument? Okay, life story. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm from uh, Wisconsin, small town, Algoma, Wisconsin, which is about 25 miles east of Green Bay. Okay. Just in case my accent comes out (laughs) a little bit every now and then when I start talking about my childhood. I always loved music music. 
we had music playing in the house most of the time. We would be singing. Um, there would be cassette tapes, uh, evidence of my mother, sister, and I singing. And if they would start the song without me, I would have a fit. <laughs> and I always, I just loved, I'd put on, you know, little concerts in front of the fireplace for the grandparents. And so I always knew I was just, I was drawn to music. And if we were at a restaurant and there was a pianist playing, I would be standing at the piano, just staring at the guy, you know, and he'd be like, do you want to sing a song? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, what do you want to sing? Like, what songs do you know? And I'm like, I don't know any songs. (laughs) That's surprising though, because most kids get nervous and run back to mom and say, no. Oh, I was, I was nervous, (laughs) (laughs) but I just, I wanted to, but I didn't know how, I didn't know what, I didn't know how. And so when I was six, I decided I was going to be a singer and made just made the conscious decision and I would be singing Cindy Lauper songs and Michael Jackson songs in my babysitter's garage <laughs> and put on concerts to the vehicles and um you know in a small town there's there isn't an outlet for that so even if I would tell mm. my parents who were visual artists and woodworkers um you know, you tell someone that you want to be a singer and their suggestion is going to be like, well, you need to join the choir. Uh, but I didn't want to sing like they sang in the yeah. choir. I wanted to sing like Madonna and Cindy Lauper yeah. and do pop music. So uh, so I just kind of, you know, it was basically a bedroom singer uh-huh. and would be on the swing set with friends and we'd listen to the radio, you know, listening to the radio. And but I songwriting would, at 10, though, because but at I 10, would, you're not writing songs. You're writing silly little stories that are make-believe and instead you're writing so, songs. So, yeah, I grew up listening to ABBA and Tina Turner and, you know, we would sit in the backseat. We were like, pump up the tunes and, you know, calling up front, turn it up. And I was, I remember being on the swing set one day thinking, you know, we were singing a song that was on the radio and I thought somebody made this up. Uh, Why can't I just make up my own songs? Wow. And so that's when wow. I started and I would just sing on the swing set. And um, I had a Casio keyboard, a, a VT400. <laughs> <laughs> not, not weighted keys or anything, very small but it had 16 beat options. Mm-hmm. And so I could pick the pop rock beat and you could choose a, a button that would control how much the chord was uh, kind of like rhythmically, harmonically played. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have to play piano. Uh. And so I didn't play in a musical instrument yet. And I would hit one key and it would make the whole chord go in the in the rhythm Mm -hmm. and so I my ear nobody told me what a one four five chord progression was or what you know no one showed me what was going to work and I just figured it out that I liked how that sounded in that order (laughs) and so uh, my first song was called baby baby (laughs) and I had a little band with a with a childhood friend and we were called Sweet Attraction. And we had a little, we made a demo tape. So by when I was 12, we had about six songs on our demo. Oh, my gosh. With little, you know, we were we were inspired by Salt and Peppa. And so there were like little rap sections. And we sang about drugs and, you know, relationships. Things that <laughs> as tw- at 12, 10, 12 years old, we had no idea what but we were I talking think, about. I think a lot of kids <laughs> that age 
it was easy to get your hands on something like a little Casio keyboard that you're describing, but not a ukulele. So, so when did you start playing ukulele, and, and how did you end up at, at that instrument? So the ukulele came in much later. So I attended the Berklee College of Music mm-hmm. uh, when I was a senior in high school, when most kids had already figured out where they were going to go to school. I had just returned from a year abroad in France, from France. Mm. So I came back senior year in October. They're like, you really need to figure out what you're doing. And I knew I wanted to do music. I didn't know how viable it would be or, you know, just. Um, so I went to the guidance counselor and they gave me, they're like, here are the books. Pick a college. And I just, you know, at eight, 17, 18, didn't have a lot of patience. So I just took one, like the first book with letter A, B, maybe. And so it's by city. Flipped it open. Boston. Oh, Boston. I knew someone went to school in Boston. That sounds like a cool town. It was like A, B, Berkeley. <laughs> and wow. I saw a songwriting degree. And I'm like, uh. that's what I want to do. And I looked no further, and it was literally like the fir- one of the first colleges I saw in the books. Mm. And it was like Boston, Berkeley, early on in the alphabet. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I was very fortunate to have family support to go and um, study songwriting. But Berkeley is where you got started in ukulele then? Um, no. Well, I guess technically that's where I first experienced the ukulele. So I was playing electric guitar. I had pink hair and uh, had just recorded a band. Uh, I was recording an album called Victoria and the Ultra Pink Bicycle Incident. <laughs> and with the band, we were driving from Boston to Green Bay to record the first, our, my first CD. And there was another guy from the Green Bay area, also at Berkeley, who hitched a ride in the u-haul truck with us (laughs) and we decided to go at bob's suggestion to go through canada and we were stopped at a gas station and bob was known for walking around campus with his little soprano ukulele Uh. playing uh oftentimes perverted songs (laughs) Um, i remember one lyric in particular that said i wish it was a hula skirt dangling from your hips so i could look up and see your smiling lips (laughs) and so i just and i knew it was you know the ukulele had this comedy uh you know facet to it that it was always silly and funny and perverted Mm -hmm. and weird and so we were at the gas station and he's like, well, do you want to try it? And I was, you know, and because I'd played guitar, I knew that bass, when I played the bass, it was the upper four strings of the guitar, mm-hmm. same notes. And when he said, yeah, it's just the other four, I didn't quite understand it at that time. And so I tried a couple chords and very discouragingly mm. handed it back. And I had a thought at that moment that I didn't remember until about, two, three years later, but I thought, what if somebody took this funny little instrument and just made real music with it? Mm. Like, what if it was wow. just like, just regular music, like wow. pop, rock, yeah. songwriter, music, and not a not comedy, not a joke, yeah. not, you know. Mm, I love that. And so then it wasn't until it was, um, then, so fast forward like two years, I was in France visiting 
and a friend had played me the Finding Forrester soundtrack with the famous Somewhere Over the Rainbow medley with What a Wonderful World by mm-hmm. Israel Kamakavivo Ole, a name I couldn't even <laughs> pronounce back then. <laughs> I had no idea that was on a ukulele, but that song haunted me. And Mm. so I put a capo at the fifth fret on my guitar and I would play along with Israel going to in that reggae vibe playing somewhere over the rainbow. So I started, I played it at a show. It was like a private party that a a friend, a musical friend, his name's Dale Anderson in Green Bay. He's like, yeah, we're playing this private party. They want more music. Why don't you come over and play? So I start playing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And I was 23, maybe. Mm -hmm. And Dale comes out from the side playing playing a ukulele, playing the song with me. And Uh. I look at him and I'm like, you know this song? And he's like, yeah, and you need to do that on a ukulele. Wow. (laughs) And I thought, my first thought was like, uh, no, I've already tried the ukulele at the gas station in Canada, yeah. and that didn't go well. And two, that just means I have another instrument to k- lug around <laughs> in addition to my guitar. And so I, and I'm like, I'm not buying one, you know. And he's like, Well, fine, I'll give you one of mine. So I went over to Dale's house, and he had 29 vintage oh, ukuleles gosh. hanging in his living room wall. Wow! And he grabbed one and handed it to me. Mm. And it was this Duke Kahanamoku uh, soprano ukulele with a toothpick for a saddle. I mean, the thing was basically falling apart. And he's like, this one's yours. And so, and I immediately, I, I bought a, a beginner ukulele book. Um, Jim Beloff mm. is kind of the ambassador of ukulele music. And um, so I bought his beginner ukulele book. I learned, I took some chords from the Star Spangled Banner and maybe a couple other songs, but I didn't learn those songs, but I just learned enough chords that I could write my own song. Okay. And so then I wrote my first song, which mm. was called Dreamin' About You. Crazy. And I played, um, I, that was the my first song. And I love that you have <laughs> painted such a good picture for us of that foundation because audience, hearing everything that we just heard from Victoria and now knowing what you know about where she came from present day, Victoria, present day, as we're sitting here recording this interview, you are currently on the cover of Ukulele Magazine, and you've been on it once before. In both cases, you had a feature article or an interview of you. I don't want to use the word validation, so instead, how meaningful is it to you in terms of being recognized now among the elite with that instrument after everything we just heard? Uh, it's huge. It, it makes me feel really good about what I'm doing, and... Um I guess ultimately I I love making music. I love making up songs and to be known even if only in the ukulele world as a, a songwriter who is taking this instrument and doing just some, you know, some cool stuff with it and um, so now I do a lot of looping. So I'll be, you know, ah. I plug my ukulele through a whole pedal board. So I've wow. got a looper, a bass pedal effect, which I can go up or down mm. up to two octaves, technically three, but two is enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, you know, a little bit of reverb, but it's pretty minimal as far as pedals go. But, but I, this is all amazing, given <laughs> what we just heard of where you came from and this initial resistance to the ukulele. 
I want to back up, though, because you started to mention songwriting and everything that you just said. And as I mentioned back in the intro, you have offered several songwriting workshops across the country. Can you talk a little bit more about those and what specifically the focus might be, as well as the target audience of, of whatever these workshops consist of? And by target audience, I mean like beginner, intermediate, advanced, or maybe it's all of the above. Yeah. Um, so I have a degree in songwriting from Berkeley. And when I graduated, I would I would be what at Berkeley they would call a late bloomer. So normally, students, when they graduate, there's about a six-month to a year period where the student will have the aha moment of, like, where everything starts to make sense of what they learned in school. It took me about four years <laughs> to have After that graduating. aha moment. Yeah, so I was still writing... While I was at Berkeley, I was I was writing from a very emotional part. Um, everything was it was it was my therapy, mm. uh, whether it was about you know friendships or relationships or family. It was very emotionally driven songs. So at my classes, I would write. I would do the assignment as asked, but I was always writing another song for myself. Mm. And so, and I didn't care so much about like what the hook was or if I was starting on a non-chord tone or if there was a chorus or what the song form was, mm. which were things we were learning about. Mm -hmm. And it seemed that after, after I got everything off my chest, it was around 2004, <laughs> I started looking at songwriting a little differently. And I remember writing a song being like, Oh, that's what they mean about like the title and wow. the hook. Wow. And then, you know, you add the ukulele into that mix and the ukulele was like a 180 from the guitar mm -hmm. where the guitar was emotional and I'm strumming and you got these open strings ringing and it's just a different rhythm and it's all part, you know, and then you have this little ukulele. And so all of a sudden I've, it kind of forced me out of writing at that time, writing these really emotional, dark mm. songs because musically it just didn't fit. Mm -hmm. And so there was that time early on in my songwriting on the ukulele where it was like, woohoo, everything's fun and happy and jazzy and light and we've got pep. And uh, so, so it was kind of, so it, I feel like that kind of pulled me out of that guitar, dark, Writing. I see that, but at the same time, I feel like that probably had to be of tremendous value to you as it relates to these songwriting workshops that you're putting on because so, so, so many songwriters are accustomed to I'm writing on the guitar and the, if I can say it, the limitations that you described of, okay, this is kind of what's expected when you write on guitar. So I imagine your workshops are very eye-opening in terms of how much more is out there in songwriting. Mm -hmm. So probably with the workshops, they started mostly like at ukulele festivals. Mm -hmm. So we would, in addition to perform um, like playing workshops where we would teach a technique on the ukulele mm -hmm. of playing mm -hmm. uh, because of my songwriting experience they started asking me if I would do a songwriting workshop and so people come yes some people have written a song some people haven't written a oh, song okay. at all okay um and I always say if you have just a seed of an idea that's all you need is just even if it's a word a title a line a chord progression of wow. wow. a, a rhythm a riff anything like just that's wow. all you need to get going and so uh, with these workshops, you just kind of draw it out of people. And because I think this, the self-critic 
voice is is very loud. And when you're a creator, when you're the player, when it's you and it's your own voice in your head um, telling you it's dumb, um, your idea, it's a bad idea. Yeah, nobody um, wants to hear it. Yeah. yeah, and so, you know, if I can be that voice of reason. That's but just like, clarify, <laughs> so are your songwriting workshops only presented from the ukulele standpoint, or are you doing songwriting workshops and incorporating guitar? Yeah. So in the, uh, during the pandemic, I started an online, um, called, uh, an online series called Camp Vox. Mm-hmm. And I did three months of songwriting workshops and it's, some people know me, I mean, they come in because they're familiar with the ukulele. Uh-huh. And so to me, the ukulele is a, an instrument. It's a legit instrument, mm-hmm. like a guitar, like a bass, like a piano. And so in that class, I've had students that play piano. I've had students oh. that play guitar. Oh, okay. I play students that have students that play ukulele. Wow. And really, you're looking at it from a harmonic uh, p- point of view of like, okay, what is the harmony doing? And whether I'm playing a C chord on a ukulele or you're playing a C chord on a piano oh, okay. or you're playing a C chord okay. on a guitar... It's still a C chord. Okay. And then what are our options for melodies out of that? And um, so it's more about the, I guess, structure of songwriting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then yeah, you know, what instrument you're using to accomplish it. Yeah. I mean, I've written songs on water glasses, you know, with <laughs> I was doing dishes and I hit a spoon to a glass accidentally. And I was like, and it made it like, ding. I was like, oh, let me get some more glasses, fill them up with water. Wow. And you just... And wow. I could write a song with glasses. Uh, I've, so cool. I've written a song on the steering wheel, so just cool. tapping out a little rhythm. So cool. And so you really don't have to play an instrument at all. And so that was all born out of me wanting to do some housekeeping. And, and I wanted to cover the fact that I had mentioned in the intro about the workshops that you do. I also mentioned something in the intro that this is just so cool. It's completely unrelated to what you're just talking about. But I can't have you on the show and not ask you about this. When and where did you open for Jackson Brown? How did you get that opportunity? Did you get to meet him? And, of course, what memories do you have from that? Yeah. uh, So the first time I met Jackson Brown was at the Steel Bridge Song Festival in 2005. And this was before the songwriting construction zone was a component of that festival. Uh. The, the first year was only performances mm. on a stage uh, in the in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. Pat McDonald from Timbuk3, if you're familiar with the song, um, My Future's So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades. Yep. Uh, he was kind of, he spearheaded, he and his sister started this festival to raise money to save the, the historic steel bridge in Sturgeon Bay. And so they put on this festival. Pat is obviously friends with Jackson Brown. Okay. And so Jackson came in to perform at this festival. And so I, that was the first time I briefly met him. And mm. then when I came back for the songwriting part in 2007, Jackson came back again. Jane Weedlin was also there ah, from the Go-Go's. Yeah. So I got to play bass in her kind of like the band that we created over the week. And I wrote a song with so Jane. Cool. And it was just a blast. And um, so when Jackson signed my poster... Uh, from the steel bridge that third year he wrote um something like the to the pineapple lady because i had a a a little ukulele you know with the ukulele and he's like you need a a pineapple bass (laughs) and then uh so i knew him through you know would would meet him through the festival and 
then in 2000, uh, 2010, I played, I did some touring in Europe, and there was an acoustic, it was called Acoustic Guitar Meeting in uh, Sarzana, Italy, mm-hmm. or La Spezia. And they decided, I guess that year, they had a little ukulele camp section of the guitar festival. And so I would, you know, I played a little bit at the guitar, at the the ukulele camp, but I was also invited to perform on the main stage. And I opened for Jackson Brown in this, like, uh, amazing, like, fortress uh, castle. It was kind of like this open courtyard. The, the, The walls of this castle were still there. And you could just hear a pin drop. And it was just such an honor to, you know, be of you know kind of of the guitar festival introducing ukulele yeah. to but the did stage you and he connect at that uh, we did the, say yeah we did so say hi and I, I had to remind him i yeah. said oh, you know the steel bridge you know with the pineapple and he's like oh yeah oh, that's so cool <laughs> that's so cool and folks if you never heard episode 428 of the show with chris polonis he talked about jackson brown and being on stage with him i will put a link to that interview as well on the show page for this episode at nhte.net, so you can go back and listen to that. Chris also talked about working with Michael McDonald and Jeff Bridges, among others. I am joined today on location at the NAM Show in Anaheim, California, by singer, songwriter, ukulele player Victoria Vox. Visit her official website at victoriavox.com. I will put a link to that on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. From her website, you will be able to connect with Victoria on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find icons to stream her music on YouTube, Pandora, and Spotify. There is also the option to purchase her music on Apple Music, but best yet, on the Boutique Music tab of her website. Keep up with Victoria as well so you can go see where and when you can see her perform live, including shows in Colorado and Massachusetts in July, to name just a couple. Victoria, you perform as a duo with your husband, aptly titled Jack and the Vox. How long have the two of you been doing that? How often do you play together, and, and which of you came up with that cool name? <laughs> well, Jack and I, we actually met at Berkeley back in 1998, ah. and I was not yet Victoria Vox at that time. Uh, Victoria Vox was actually a website, my website, victoriavox.com, mm-hmm. and because I didn't want to use my real name, my at the time, Victoria Davitt, and uh, I worked in the library at Berkeley, and we had uh, folders, we had to put our initials on the folder, and it became a bit of a complex to have the VD folder, <laughs> so uh, I didn't, and one of the girls I went to school with, they, you know, it was kind of like her name, sings.com or something, music.com. And so Victoria Online was a porn site, and Victoria Music, somebody wanted $300 for. And so I kept thinking, going back to Victoria Vox. VictoriaVox.com has a nice ring to it. And then eventually, when I took it as my website, and at the time I was only performing as a single name, Victoria. Mm. And, uh, you know, but I needed a second name for recognition. So people started calling me Victoria Vox, assuming it was my name. And eventually I had to either roll with it or um, change my website. And rolling with it just seemed like the easy (laughs) thing to do. But uh, so Jack and I met at Berkeley 
And then uh, fast forward 18 years, we met here. We reconnected at the NAM show, Hall wow. D. Wow. And uh, we married two months later. Oh, my gosh. And so he was performing with his band, and he still does, with Feed the Kitty. It's a country rock band. What year was that that you reconnected 2016. Here? 2016. And so then when did this idea of the two of you playing together start Basically, up? as soon as we got married uh, two months later, okay. you know, we kind of, okay. and we joked about it. We're like, because, so I was moving, I moved out west from Baltimore, Maryland, where I was living for 10 years. But whenever I'd come to California, I would see the Jack in the box fast food <laughs> chain and so it was kind of like jack in the box <laughs> and i don't know which one of us came up with it but we were like at first it was kind of like a joke like yeah we'd be called jack in the box jack and the box not in the box but <laughs> um and so it just kind of became a, a thing that we would do um you know for fun or we would say if we performed together it was victoria vox with jack maher aka jack and the vox so we have a really long um, artist name when we play together, but How it was. How often do you play together? Um, well, pre-pandemic, uh, it was not very often. Maybe, uh, maybe a month or so out of the year total. Oh, um, so we'd go out maybe two times for two weeks, and mm-hmm. um, we would mostly go to Europe because it was part vacation. I hear um, you about to say, but. Um, but then during the pandemic, when we were stuck home together for, you know, a good two years. Uh, so Jack usually plays a lot with his band Feed the Kitty. And then I would be touring a lot. So like the summer of 2019, we saw each other for three days over the summer. Yikes. And so I actually really liked that we had the pandemic and that we could spend time together and make music together. So we started working at the end of 2019, we recorded like a kind of a demo, a self-recorded album, Mm -hmm. which is on our website, Jack in the Vox for free. You can just Mm. download it and there's a songbook that goes with it for ukulele. And um, but then during the pandemic, uh, it was like right when Jack's gigs all canceled. I mean, I had gigs that canceled, but that was like in Florida. And I'm like, I'm not flying to Florida right now. (laughs) This is like March, 2020. And so I decided not to go. And then it was, I think St. Patrick's day was like his, when California like shut everything down. And there were a few days and we would go, we would go for walks in the park and I could tell that he was starting to be mentally affected, you know, just um, start a little bit, dep- maybe depression um, from not playing. Yeah. And when you're when you're a performer all the time, it's it's like our drug of choice. Yeah, of yeah. <laughs> Attention. <laughs> so you started live streaming, is it? Well, so then we thought, you know, okay, how how you're used to playing like almost every day. We can't go on the, the internet and play our original songs and do an original concert of 45 minutes every day. Like mm-hmm. it's just oversaturation. So how can we go on regularly and make it feel fresh? So we came up with the idea to do two songs every day. And we would do one original and one cover. Mm. And so we did 100 days in a row, Ooh. no repeats. Oh, wow. So 100 wow. originals 
And wow. uh, by the time, probably around week into the 20s, show number 20, we started developing themes. And so it was Monday fun days, which turned into like skit days. And we would make skits, come up with these skits that incorporated two songs that had a theme. Okay. Or uh, we had dance party Fridays. And um, I don't think we re- re-wore a single costume so we started getting kind of crazy with what we were wearing, the songs we were singing. We were learning a ton of music, so and I it wonder, distracted by any, us. By any chance, is that what prompted you? Because I don't know how long you've had it, but audience, you heard me before. I was giving Victoria's website, her social media, where you can get her music and stuff. But I should have mentioned that she also has Patreon because, in fact, over 130 monthly patrons who support you on there presently, for those who are in the audience that are indie musicians themselves, Talk about the success that you're having with that platform. Maybe any do's and don'ts that you've experienced as you've grown that. How with long Patreon? have you, yeah? How long have you had it? Is it was it inspired by all this that you're describing I, during the pandemic? So I actually started my Patreon page in 2013. Oh wow! So I don't even remember Patreon being around back then. Doing it a while, <laughs> and actually, I think I started when it the first began. And the year before that, in 2012, I did a songwriting project of my own where I wrote. 52 songs in a year Mm. and I had people subscribe Uh. to me uh, for a dollar a week, $52 up front with a money back guarantee. So if I didn't write (laughs) 10, if I didn't finish 10 songs, I only wrote 42, they, everybody would get 10 bucks back. You, you said you must be an early adopter because here you are basically doing what Patreon. And I wish that Patreon existed in 2012 so that I could have used that as a, you know, a really, because I was doing everything through my website and a password protected. Okay. And, you know, in and emailing people. And um, so, yeah, that would have been great. So when Patreon did come around, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll sign up for that. And, you know, had a handful of um, supporters and some supporters that have been on there with me since the beginning. You know, oh my gosh. this is going on eight years. Wow. And, uh, but I will say it was after during the pandemic that um, I would say at least probably half of the current subscribers that we have signed up and to support us, to support the best medicine show that Jack and the Vox was doing. Uh, and so I kind of use it for both Victoria Vox like and really Jack and the Vox. rolled up your sleeves during the pandemic and said, okay, I'm, I got to do even more with Patreon than I already am. Yeah, well, I guess it was with Patreon. So you can look at it as uh, two ways where you're creating content for the patrons specifically. And they are paying to subscribe to whatever you are offering on a monthly basis. I tend to look at it more of that I'm an artist and you're supporting me in whatever I'm doing and whether that means making working on a music video that I will then eventually provide on YouTube for free for everyone yeah uh you know or an album or you know the songbooks and so I do give them perks um through the Patreon website and I'll write postcards and um you know we do monthly deep dives which are kind of like a a work uh, just a group workshop with the ukulele and songwriting um, once a month. So there is that, which has in- incredible value. So for $3 a month, you can wow. be a part of this, wow. you know, 
pretty intimate work yeah. workshop. And so it, it, every artist and musician kind of does their own, you know, uses yeah. Patreon t- how they want. Well, yeah, because I like how you described, you know, it could be I'm supporting this person on Patreon because I want those things that they said they're going to do for me, or it's I just want to support Victoria and what she's doing musically. Let's go back because there was something that you said in, you know, what I might do with it. Uh, folks, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you heard me on episode 414 asking Carly Joe Jackson about a music video where she had words written on her body. And Victoria, similarly, you recently put out a music video of your song, Clean. Share with the audience about that song and especially the making of that video. Yeah, um, that's cool that someone someone else had done the... Not to the extent that you did. Oh, okay. But yeah. (laughs) So the song Clean from the new album is a song about forgiveness, uh, also inspired by an artwork by Fred Stonehouse. The artwork is called The Crossing. And it's this griffin creature looking back with a tear in its eye. And um, I saw it as kind of like, how do, you know, moving forward. Um, and it was also, I wrote it around the same time as the insurrection and the story in the news about Guy Reffitt and the Reffitt family and where he was involved in the insurrection and he had threatened his children that he would kill them if they turned him into the FBI. And I was thinking of that and just like how... As a child, can you forgive a parent for threatening to kill you? That's, that is not unconditional love. That is not love at all. And um, so with that painting and also that current event uh, inspired that song. And okay. so it really is. Um, so when I thought about doing a music video for that song, you know, they're like, well, obviously I could be cleaning the house and like, you know, how, or, you know, cleaning, starting clean. And I, I just, but then I was in Wisconsin last summer. My mom is a, an, an artist, a visual artist, printmaker. And um, so she's got lots of art, art supplies and I was helping her clean her studio. And she had this like black ink and I think I had a little bit on my skin and I had to wash it off. And then I was like, what if I had all these like words painted on my body and then I'm like having to wash them off. So in December 2021, uh, some friends, another uh, music couple and uh, Jack and I met up in um, in Tahoe, like Tahoe uh lake area Mm -hmm. and went to a cabin gifted to us by like a friend and family friends and they let us stay at the cabin for a week to do kind of a a creative retreat and while I was there I asked my friend Danny if she would paint on my body and the bathroom there kind of worked out well as far as the camera angle and I was thinking it would just be like a one one time kind of shoot and hope I get it all and I had one camera at my feet getting the ink going down the, mm. the drain okay. and then one camera about chest level up. Mm-hmm. And um, so we filmed it there just the one time and I was basically by myself. I mean, it was just me and the camera in the bathroom. Okay. And when I went home, I reviewed the footage and I was like, OK, I think I can make this work. And so I had to kind of chop it up and edit it in a way um, that it wasn't like linear, moving linearly through the washing off the ink. Like sometimes it would come back. And um, so I decided 
to, I thought, you know, what if I just asked my patrons on Patreon what they would think about this video? And if they like what I did, if uh, it was a good idea, you know, just if they dug it. And so I sent them the first version of the video, which, you know, had nipple slips and all. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought I'd try. I tried to get most of them. And Jack's like, I just saw that. I'm like, oh, well, they pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I let them kind of have an inside peek into what I was working on. And as much as I hated to hear it, um, a couple people chimed in and said, you know, love the concept but I think you can have you could do a better performance of either more emotion or it was just and you know it's it's such a cool community because you I don't know I feel like when I put stuff up on there I'm looking for honesty I'm not I'm not looking to have you know um, yeah, roses just, thrown at your yeah. feet and everybody praise you. And everything you do is so wonderful. Victoria, and, of course, this is good. Put it out. And even though it sucks and it hurts and it's not what I want to hear, I knew deep down they were right. And so so now we're back home in California and think, okay, I'm like, Jack, I'm going to need you to paint on my body, you know, and we're going to let's get a couple takes. So we you we basically took, started all over. We again. started you over. Scrapped what you had shot before. Okay. So um, we ended up taking the first two. The first take, we have a, our shower is a kind of on a. It's like a trapezoid shape. So mm-hmm. the door is actually quite large. It's a double slider, mm-hmm. and so the so we had like this um, stabilizer camera, and so Jack would, you know, kind of film me and singing, and I'm washing off the ink and. I had two, I think it was a, a, guess, a gesso ink is the, what it was called. And depending on the first washing, it comes off a little easier because your skin is just fresh. And, but mm-hmm. then after you've been scrubbing, and then if you paint the ink on again immediately after the shower, it absorbs into your skin and is much oh harder to scrub off. So the first one, it came off really easy. The second filming, he had to do it again. In, wow. And we had, wow. and we used the camera for um, what's it called? Like where there's cohesion between shots, and you want to make sure it's done the yeah. same. Yeah. So he was using continuity. the same words, continuity. So he's using the same words, same placement up okay. my neck, you know, okay. on my hands, arms, and then I went back and then reviewed the footage from those two days, and this was right before Christmas, and. I thought like, yeah, this is really, this is good, but I just feel like I need a couple more shots. Mm. So we ended up taking off the shower doors, <laughs> the oh glass gosh. shower doors, so wow. we could back the camera wow. up and actually get a quite a wide shot yeah. of the shower mm. without any door. And um, so we did, I think we did it like five times filming mm. and I learned that if I put lotion on my body after the shower and then paint it on it would <laughs> but you know we're all learning so much about how much went into doing a DIY music video but I think what's really cool about all this is that let's re- let's reintroduce the idea that this album is inspired by someone else's artwork so here you were 
introducing art in the form of painting on your body to create this visual art that is the music video. It's just it's, it's very cool the way oh, it's all kind you. of coming full circle. So I would do want to say one more thing about that. So then I had like versions two, version three, and version four, <laughs> and I thought I was like, okay, like I'm really close here. And then my mother and my mother is a patron, you know, uh, but sometimes mom doesn't always go through the correct patron, <laughs> like the threads or respond in a timely manner. And this was like a, t- a day or two before I was wanting to release the video. And my mom texts me and she's like, you know, I just I don't like that the shots are out of order. I want it to be more, you know, this and that. It doesn't make sense to me. Da, da. And I was so mad. And I was like, you know, because it's not just a patron. It's my mom. Yeah, yeah. And it, and um, so I was really upset. And like most things, when I, when I get upset about them, I, I, I want to just prove a point. And I wanted to prove her wrong that if I did it that way, that it was going to be horrible. And so I had to chop up the whole thing and mm. reor- rearrange the shots. And I got about 30 seconds in, and I was like, yeah, mom was right. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> and so there were, you know, and I, but I kind of, you know, through the patron page, let people in on my filming. And I intend to do that with all the videos from now Very on. Cool. Very of cool. just getting feedback. Wow. <laughs> So tonight, you're going to be playing on the Sheraton stage as part of the bands at NAM. You mentioned before about reconnecting uh, some years ago. So this is obviously not your first NAM show. I realize that today is the first day of this year's show, but have you had a chance to see any exhibitors so far, maybe a company or two whose gear you use? And, and for that matter, are there any companies you hope to connect with? And, and then also, you know, please tell us, you know, what, what your show tonight will be like. Yeah. Um, so this will be my first solo show in public ah. in over two years. Wow. So that's exciting. And I'll be doing my looping. And so I have, it's, you know, when Nam promotes the show, they say, you know, go see Victoria Vox. Their set is uh, at 7 p.m. There. Like, yeah. like me, like, like my band. Like, it's like a duo like, or a trio or a band. Yeah. And so, so it's like, yeah, I'm a band. It's just me, myself, and I. <laughs> Um, and so, my pedals. Yeah, and the pedals. <laughs> so, and I can sing harmonies with myself, and I have a bass player, and I am the drummer, and I do it all. <laughs> uh, so that's exciting. Um, but, yeah, we just got here not too long, uh, not too long earlier today. But I did run into um, Tomast- uh, Heinz, my friend Heinz at Tomastic Infeld, is a string maker in Germany. And um, so, or Austria. So um, we ran into him right away, and um, he hooks me up. They're making kind of a ukulele string. It's a bit of a prototype. Mm. So I've had some prototype ukulele strings from Tomastic Enfeld. I use their low. My it's a guitar string, but I use it as a low G ukulele string. Um, there are a lot of companies that aren't here this year that, uh, in past years, have been here. I think just probably post-COVID. But I guess we should probably talk about whose ukuleles do you play and yes. are they here? So the my main ukulele uh, is uh, a custom-made ukulele oh. by Maya Moe. Um, ukuleles, uh, the builder's name is Carrie Kelly and he's in um, Illinois. He's a one-man, 
luthier wow. builder, and so he he would not come to Nam. Okay, um, he's not he's not able to uh, you know fill orders of three hundred ukuleles yeah. in a month. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my main ukulele that I play. I also play a tiny tenor by Pepe Romero, the Romero Creations. They usually have a booth here, um, but they are not here this year. Okay. Um, in the past, I've been sponsored by Kala. They are here. And also, um, I was also sponsored by Koaloha um, at a time where they did not have a booth at NAM. Um, they've more recently had booths, but they are, again, they're a um, Hawaiian company and they are not here this year either. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I have yet to see, I use Maisai Pickups, which is a battery-free pickup hmm. technology so i basically wow. char- plug my ukulele into the wall like it's a cell phone for 60 seconds and i have 16 hours of playtime wow. wow. it's really amazing i don't have to hours. buy nine wow. volts i i don't have to you you know with the ukuleles you can have either nine volt or like a 2032 type battery watch battery um, I don't use any batteries for any of my equipment. Mm, which is nice. You don't have to worry about, oops, dead battery. I should have should Yeah, have been and prepared. so you can't have a oops, dead capacitor <laughs> on the ukulele, but uh, <laughs> you just have to, you know, you just get a little bit of charge. Cool. And it's a, it's a cool technology where the capacitor, I always think of back to the future. I'm like, flux <laughs> capacitor. The capacitor holds the charge and then powers the instrument. Okay. And they make them for a guitar, all, any amplified instrument. Um, so I have yet to see if they're here. They're based in Massachusetts, so I'm going to okay. have to search out my side. Okay. Well, we're going to close today with another one of Victoria's original songs, one called Floating on Fruit. Victoria, before I let you go and I play that track, share with the audience all about this one, if you would, please. Sure. So this is another song from the Nirvana in R.E.M. album with art and uh, songs inspired by the art of Fred Stonehouse. This song was the last song I wrote for the album. And so I had been looking at Fred's artwork for a year and a half. And there was kind of this series of, um, I think he had done a series called like... um, it was something night something, but there was a, there were four pieces, Night King, uh, Clairvoyant Stream, Garden, and then one piece called Sound of Change. And the, the first three arts that I mentioned, artworks that I mentioned, all had this, a deer creature in the, over a black background, like in a dark forest, a little bit magical. There's butterflies and there's, um, birds, but it also has a very dark kind of mystical feeling. Mm. And so I was starting kind of with the vibe with the clairvoyance dream of like these vision, you know, the, the, the deer or whether it was Fred's mother or grandmother having these visions and the egg in the artwork always signified potential mm. and whether it was potential of clairvoyance or, uh, you know, whether it was tapped into yet or maybe not at all. Maybe the egg was in its, without any cracks. Uh, so this song, so it's kind of has a, a very mystical vibe and the whole album I actually wrote using a lot of samples. So I was using a, a, a pro software program that I would take sound bits and manipulate them. Mm. And so in this one in particular, there's kind of a clarinets and bassoon line that I found. And 
put that in there and um and i emulate all of this stuff live when i play solo so i do it on the ukulele wow. and with the bass wow. and um but there was the, the lyric i got to the when i was writing the song writing the bridge and it kind of was this very spacey long lines melodically and i I just came up with the lyric. I was just saying Nirvana in REM and it's just really slow and drawn out. And then the harmonies are like super thick and it actually modulates to major, mm. a major key with the vocal harmonies, not necessarily with the bass or what the ukulele is playing. So it's really cool. Um, but it was at that moment where I knew that that's what I wanted to name the album. So and cool. so I got the so the cool. album title from the bridge of that song, awesome. and I always um, I, floating on fruit definitely makes me chuckle every time when I <laughs> get to the the hook, the title line of floating on fruit it makes me laugh, but I have to be careful to not say floating on flute. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, good stuff, Victoria. Wonderful to meet you. Thank, Thank you for you making so time much. to be here today. I really enjoyed it, and great to have you on out here at this entertainment. Thank you, Bruce. My pleasure. My pleasure. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, ukulele player Victoria Vox. Do be sure to visit her official website at victoriavox.com. And again, I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. You can connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. For that matter, tell Victoria you heard her and her music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Plus, as you heard us discuss, you can very much support her through Patreon, in addition to, of course, by purchasing her music and even merchandise from her website. You will also see links to stream her music on Spotify and Apple Music. Remember to check victoriavox.com for dates and locations for where and when you can go see her perform live. That's going to do it for episode 436. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song by Victoria Vox. This is the one she just talked about. It's called Floating on Fruit. Like a dream that never ends Connected by a single thread The sound of change is moving through the trees Finding solace in the dark From the glow of ancient stars It's the night Prophecy
as the 